Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Hits Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you uh, this evening. We're going to be starting off here in just a moment with another great discussion here on the Coach's Corner panel segment. And a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by a mother-daughter team, uh, if you will, some uh, very interesting guests. I've had them on actually a number of times uh, over the years. I'm talking, of course, about Peggy Rhodes-White and Tiffany White, her daughter, uh, and they are um, coming on to talk about their late uh, father and grandfather, uh, about the Ted Rhodes Foundation. We're going to talk about that in their upcoming tournament in a couple of weeks. So we'll talk about that and more. And I haven't actually spoken to them for a few years. They haven't been on the show for uh, probably about the last three or so years. But uh, I'm glad to have them back tonight. And we'll have a great discussion and talk about, as I said, the upcoming tournament in a few weeks and uh, see what else is new and exciting in their world uh, this uh, this coming uh fall, I guess, to see what's going to be happening uh, at the Ted Rhodes Foundation. Also, just a quick po- program note, um, Tuesday, some of you that may have been trying to get into the Women of Golf show, uh, which is my other program Tuesday mornings on this network, we had a little bit of a technical glitch and unfortunately uh, had to cancel the show last minute, but as you can tell, if you're listening to now, uh, everything seems to have worked, all the bugs seem to have worked its way out, so uh, glad to be here uh, this Thursday evening. All right, let me introduce uh, the panel tonight, and then we'll get into this evening's discussion on Coach's Corner. First up is uh, a good friend, John Decker. He is the Director of Instruction at the Medallion Club in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, he's also a senior editor and top 25 instructor at Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, formerly, he was a head instructor at the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf in Orlando and was the 2015 Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year. Uh, and he's also an author of Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which, of course, includes a Bible study. And he's also available for public speaking, and he'll tell you a little bit about that at the end of the segment. Also, another good friend, uh, Jamie Leno-Zimron. She's a Class A LPJ teacher professional and a sixth-degree Aikido black belt, a somatic psychologist, corporate speaker, and mind-body fitness trainer, and graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Stanford University and is also the creator of Kiai Golf, The Centered Way. So, John and Jamie, welcome back to Coach's Corner. Thank you, Ted. Thanks. Great being here, Ted. Hi, John. And Great thank to be you. Together. Yeah, and thank you, uh, thank you both, and uh, Jamie, particularly for you calling in from uh, France. It's always interesting to uh, uh, have somebody call in from across the pond, as they say. So we appreciate you uh, taking time. And I know it's uh, so. What time is it there now in France? Uh, One a.m. Oh, uh, well, okay. yeah. <laughs> a special thank you <laughs> a for, for doing that. <laughs> Bless your heart. Yeah. All right, so okay. we're going we're gonna to have a, a 
we're going to have a great discussion tonight. And um, we're going to talk about a, a few different things, but these are some questions that I've gathered up over time, and I thought I'd throw them into the mix and, and get you to, uh, both of you to talk about some things. The first one is, is under golf etiquette. Um, and this is something that people really don't know um, a lot about, believe it or not, it seems very simple. Um, but this question, John, I'm going to start with you, and that is where should I walk on the putting green? People uh, you hit their approach shots, they're up on the green, and there's certain, there is certain etiquette, if you will, when you're walking along the putting green. So maybe talk, uh, there's a few points I'm sure you could probably cover here, but talk a little bit about that. What should I do uh, and, and when it comes to where I walk on the putting green? Well, Ted, first of all, thank you for having me on the show tonight. And, Jamie, I, I look forward to being on with you uh, again tonight. So, and, and thanks for calling in from France. I know it's uh, really early for, or really uh, late for you, I guess I should say. But, uh, Ted, this is a great question because etiquette is part of the game. And, you know, one of the things that you uh, want to make sure that you're doing when you uh, approach the green is you want to kind of get an idea of where everybody's ball is on the green. Now, some people may not be on the green. For example, I may hit a, an approach shot on the green and, and the people I'm playing with may miss the green. So it's very important that I, first of all, stand, you know, I would like to mark my ball. Sometimes I will not mark, mark my ball depending on the situation. But um, as their players are hitting their shots up onto the green, it's important, first of all, that I don't stand in a, in a line where they could see me, uh, whether it be behind them or in front of them. Uh, you know, you, you want to think about safety. I always make sure that I'm always never putting my clubs down or anything down to where an errant shot, if they're hitting a chip shot or a pitch shot, could hit hit my clubs. So that's one of the first things I do is I make sure and you know everyone gets on the green uh, safely. Once everyone's on the green, then obviously whoever is farthest from the hole is going to they're it's going they're going to have the honor to you know they're going to be hitting first. Uh, it's important to pay attention to several things. Number one, again, you want to pay attention to your shadow. Uh, a lot of times when you're playing during the day, your shadow can be, especially in the fall, it can be extremely long. It can, I've, you know, sometimes in the fall, late in the day, your shadows can be, you know, 30 feet long. Uh, and, and so if you're not paying attention to where you're standing, uh, the shadow, sometimes you're standing in the right spot, but your shadow is, is casting right on the hole or it's on the, 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 the other player's uh, line, that's important that you stand in the position. I've had, actually had to squat down before so my shadow would not, uh, you know, interfere with them. And then I never want to stand behind the hole when someone's putting. Uh, I never want to – because that is very distracting, so it's very important that you stand off to the side. Um, and now once a player is putted, it, it, there's nothing wrong with walking – at that point, once the ball is rolling, especially if you have uh, two players on the same line, let's say I'm playing with someone and their ball is on a very similar line to mine, as soon as they hit their putt, I can start walking over behind them and kind of get a, a, a view of the, of the putt. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, there's, there's nothing illegal about that. I don't want to make it just really obvious, but I'll just gradually walk over there and, and pay attention. And it's important that you're always watching everyone's putt because you can always learn something from balls when they're rolling on the green. So, you know, paying attention to your shadow, making sure that you're, uh, you know, you, you're, you have repaired your ball mark so that there's not a situation where your ball mark or a coin or anything along those lines would be in their line. But it's very important that you stand so you're not directly behind them, not directly behind the hole, or in a, in a position to where they can see you uh, with their peripheral vision when they're, when they're putting. So, 
Um, and obviously, you're to be quiet and no, no talking uh, during, the, during that time as well. Well said. And, you know, it, it sounds like there's a lot to cover there, and, and there is, but really it's very simple. It's just a matter of uh, courtesy and, and etiquette when you're on the golf course. And, and, Jamie, there's a lot of other things as well, other areas that we might want to make sure that uh, we're being um, considered of our, our fellow players. And one area I want to get you just to touch on, then if there's another one that you want to throw in there as well, maybe another spot, but um, a lot of people, especially since there's a lot of new golfers to the game uh, over the last few years, um, they don't really understand some of the, the on-course etiquette. And, for instance, this particular one, I had a, um, a, a player actually call in and uh, talk to me about this. Is, and it's about who goes first, who plays first, um, when you're moving from one hole to another. So is it the best score from the last hole? Always play first. What's the, what's the honor system, if you will, here? And if there's another uh, area of etiquette that you want to touch on as well, uh, by all means, go ahead. Well, first of all, yeah, thanks again for having me. And um, this is such a, a great topic. <clears throat> I think, um, you know, we'll talk about who plays first in just a moment, but um, I think it's really important to kind of ask the question, what's the purpose of etiquette? Um, you know, I think sometimes the, the only time we've really encountered the word etiquette, at least in America, is, um, you know, what are, what are your table manners and, and things like that. And I think that we don't necessarily, um, especially as Americans, have a, a very positive relationship with the word etiquette. Um, it might seem kind of stuffy or old-fashioned or no fun or something, but... Um, you know, it it really is something very important. And, you know, for me, there are a couple of purposes of etiquette. And one, of course, is consideration, respect for others, um, minimizing distractions, courtesy. And the other is also safety. Um, so, you know, there's some really uh, important reasons that we have these, these um, kind of etiquettes that we observe. So in terms of, you know, who plays first, uh, it's interesting that it's called the honor system, right? Um, who, who has honors? meaning who had the, the lowest score on the last hole, or if, if it was tied on the last hole, it goes back to the hole before that, uh, who had the lowest score. So that's the traditional way, and for the most part, I think that that is observed, um, you know, very often, especially in tournament play. But um, the other thing that's become very, very important in terms of etiquette on the golf course is pace of play and being sure that we're, you know, keep, keep the group moving and, uh, you know, don't slow up play um, on the golf course. Um, sometimes one group can be playing slow, slowly, and that will back groups up all throughout the golf course. So, I mean, that can back up a golf course for a couple hours or, or for, you know, a whole uh, part of the day sometimes. So it's um, important to keep up place, pace of play. And so, you know, in that case, it's just what we call ready golf. So who's who's arrived at their shot or at the tee first? And um, but the etiquette then is to say, let's play ready golf, so that everybody in the group has agreed we are not going to observe the who had the lowest score on teeing off first, but we're just going to uh, go with who's ready first. So um, I think that that's um, you know interestingly another part of etiquette is to really be very aware of pace of play and um, to be sure that you're you're ready is quickly as you can to uh, tee off and, you know, throughout uh, the hole. So generally speaking, the person will tee off who has the, quote, honors, who had the lowest score before on the, on the hole before, or um, 
the person who is furthest away from the hole from uh through from tee to green in the fairway and then uh on the green whose ball is furthest from the hole putts first um and but you know the etiquette is to be ready to play i think is is probably the most important thing at this point keep up pace of play yeah yeah and that's a great point jamie uh you're exactly right i think it really depends on the group obviously in tournaments it's a little bit different but um but for you know regular golfers out there i think it's it's nice to have um you know go by the honor system uh, i think it's good to have uh, some sort of ground rules laid out and again it's up to the individual who may not want to follow that i like to get you know the ready golf uh, approach as well especially in today's uh market when so many golf uh, courses are just literally filled to the brim with with uh, uh golfers out there and you just don't have time to uh, to sometimes go through and figure out who who's up and who's not. Uh, so if you're ready, um, you know, step up and, and let's get it done. Then obviously you observe the furthest from the hole, uh, whether you're on the green or not. So, um, but yeah, those are some great great points. And I think a lot of people are surprised, especially new golfers. They don't really understand that. You know, they're having a, a, a tough enough time trying to learn, learn the swing, and now all of a sudden you got to throw in some. And it's not really rules so much as it is just uh, some great golf etiquette. So um, those are just a couple of well, points I-, I wanted to have you guys. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that um, the importance of keeping up pace of play is uh, really can't kind of be overstated, and um, in its mm-hmm. in its role in consideration of others when you're out on the golf course. Because let's say tee times, it depends on the course, but they're usually um, every eight, nine, ten minutes, right? And um, so it's important to be what we call be in position, right? To keep your, keep mm-hmm. that that gap there. And if you start falling behind, uh, you know, people start to really get aggravated when uh, things are slow. You know, when people start grumbling, rightly so, oh, it's so slow, it's so slow out here. I don't even like playing at that course because it's so slow, um, you know, that you're waiting on every shot. Um, so it, it is just right. really important to be aware of pace of play. And um, I think for newer golfers, they should know that it's not necessarily their skill or how far they can hit the ball or how low their handicap is. Uh, the most important is something that I think is most important for um, for people when they're playing golf with other people is that uh, they are observing pace of play that they are really keeping to mm. that um, you know etiquette and that make that makes you um, a desirable playing partner is when you keep up your pace of play. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, well said, um, John. I'm going to come back to you now. We're going to jump over to. Uh, some questions on the full swing. And this is a question that I'm sure we've all had it at some point, um, a fairly common question, but uh, how hard should I swing? Uh, this is, and, and this is really, it, it doesn't matter whether it's iron or, or you know, uh, any of your woods and that, but a lot of people wonder how, the, you know, they see somebody like a John Daly or some of the others that look like they're just swinging for the fences. And what they don't really understand is everybody has a different speed. Um, but, People have this question. They want to know how hard should I swing at the, at the ball? Well, in the full swing, um, you know, you're trying to maximize your distance. Uh, in the short game, we're trying to control our distance. So in the full swing, um, obviously, um, we all, you know, as you start playing the game more, you start learning how far you can hit each club. So, uh, you know, one of the first things I tell people when I, when I get this question is, you know, the easiest way to make the ball go farther is to change clubs. And so instead of trying to hit um, an eight iron as far as you possibly can, 
the easiest way to make it go farther is just to hit a seven iron. And so that would be, that would be the first uh, little uh, piece of advice that I would give someone, uh, especially when they're in between clubs, you know, when they can't figure out, you know, uh, and obviously every situation is different. Now, as far as how hard to hit, I, I don't really look at it from that standpoint. What I want my students to have is a powerful swing. I do not want them to have a quick swing, and there's a big difference. A quick swing is a swing that's real short and real fast, but there's no power. So it, it would be like me uh, if I were hitting a punching bag uh, and I was hitting it with just my hand and hitting it as hard as I can, as fast as I can, but I would create no power. Imagine if I took a little more time to go back and put my body weight into it, I would create more power. So as far as how hard to swing, what I look at is I look at someone's, obviously their transition when they go back and then they transition and come down. But what I look at is the time of their golf swing. I want the time to be one second. So when they go back into the ball, I want that to be one second. That does not count the follow through. So, so as soon as their club goes back, and then comes back to the ball would be done in, in one second. So I'm always working on the time of their swing. The second thing I look at when I get someone that's, you know, wanting to know how far or how hard to hit it is I look at their balance. If they're not on balance after their swing, um, then it really doesn't matter how hard they hit the ball. They're probably not going to hit a very good shot. So balance is important. Obviously, you, if you're a better athlete, if you're really good shape, you know, if you're young and flexible, you can create a lot more speed and have a lot more balance than you can if you're overweight or if you're, if you're out of shape or uh, if you're not very flexible. So these, these are very important um, things that you would look at when you're determining how really how fast someone can swing uh, and how much power they can create. And, and that's something that, you know, those discussions I often have with students during the lesson is, you know, for you to get more power, you're going to have to get more flexibility or you know, sometimes I, I'll say, you know, we need to, I, I put it nicely, but I'll say we need to improve your core strength, which in other words, for most people means they need to actually lose some weight. You know, if, they're, if they've got extra weight around their gut, it's going to be very difficult for them to create much power with their body. They're going to use their arms and shoulders in doing that. But my favorite way to think about this is the way Davis Love Sr. would talk, uh, talked about it. And he talked about when, when he was working with, with Davis Love III is, um, he said that, uh, you know, you want to swing about 85%. So if you think at 100% of swinging as fast as you can at 100%, the idea is to swing about 85%. Keep in mind, when you get nervous in a tournament, you're going to have adrenaline. So if you're swinging at 100% on the driving range and 100% on all your shots, you're going to just, under pressure, that's not going to hold up. So by swinging at 85%, when you add in the adrenaline, when you add in the tournament, uh, for the better players out there, uh, then it gives you a little room to kind of work toward 100%. But I don't want anyone to ever swing at 100%. It, the only time that you would ever swing at 100% is if you were coming out of some really high weeds and you're just trying to advance the ball back to the fairway. Uh, you know, that would be maybe a rare case. And that would be for a highly skilled player who can, whose body's in shape to do that. So um, it's a, it's a great question. It's something there's no one simple answer to it. But I think there's a lot of things, you know, balance your time and, and then trying to stay in at 85%. Those would be the three areas that I look at the most. Yeah, your tempo, yeah, great, uh, great answer. Your, your tempo and timing really dictates that as well. I think for uh, especially uh, 
you know, some of our newer players and that that haven't really sort of found their groove yet, it's very easy for them to sort of, as I said uh, earlier, swing for the fences and they get out of balance. So that's a good test right there. If you can't swing within balance and you're falling all over the place uh, in the process, then obviously you need to slow things down a little bit. But I, I agree with you. You know, I would even go as 80 to 85%, somewhere in that range, I think is a good place to start. And that's one of the reasons, too, you mentioned Davis Love. Uh, his father obviously taught him, and, uh, you know, Davis Love III, of course, was uh, a great golfer, had a beautiful swing, and always looked like he was in perfect balance every time uh, he uh, teed it up. So, uh, great example as well. Uh, Jamie, here's one that sort of piggybacks this a little bit, and a lot of people are confused with this. Again, they look at other players, whether it's on tour or somebody else, and they're wondering to themselves, well, how far should I actually swing the club back? Um, you know, do I need to do it like John Daly, as I mentioned, where it's sort of uh, past uh, not that 90 degree or parallel? Uh, or what do I need to do? How do I decide how far back I should swing the club? You always have such great questions. Um, well, you know, th- there's some, uh, somewhere between uh, John Daly, which um, is the classical uh, sort of way to, uh, or to, to refer to what we might think of as overswinging, where the club, the club head is practically touching the ground. You know, on the backswing, it's way over the shoulder and practically touching the ground. So it's what we call way past parallel, where the shaft of the club would be parallel with the ground at the top of the backswing. That's the uh, the real classical traditional um, position to be in. Um, and then you've got somebody, say like Steve Stricker, who really popularized a swing that's not even at parallel. So between that not even at parallel to practically touching the ground, the shaft of the club practically t- and, and the club head practically touching the ground with the shaft like way you know past parallel, um, is there? It, there's a lot of room in between there. And so I think that um, it's important for people to find what's comfortable for them. But there's a reason that we have a, a norm, which would be the parallel, um, the shaft of the club parallel to the ground at the top of the backswing. And I can say that because I've been a John Daly type of swinger. <laughs> That's been my tendency. And I really <laughs> have had to work to not, uh, you know, and I, it's just because I tend to just kind of get in there and do and overdo most everything, right? And there it is on the top of the backswing. I'm like, oh, my God. Um, but I will say that my experience has been for myself and, and plenty of golfers is that it's very hard when you've um, kind of had that, that overswing to get the, the club dropped back into position and then squared up at, um, at impact. Um, so in order, I think that to generate power and to generate consistency, are, which are two things that we're looking for as well as accuracy, of course, uh, are um, <clears throat> the ratio, shall we say, in the swing. And a tour tempo has been discovered to um, have a certain ratio where, you know, that um, from address to the top of the backswing back to the ball, John mentioned one second. So tour tempo is somewhere between, I think it was 0.93 seconds to 1.7 seconds. So somewhere in there tour, tour swings are. But there is a ratio of that um, and then with the follow-through. So, you know, if you've got this great big backswing and sort of decelerate uh, at the ball or can't get the club back into position because it was so far past parallel, that's going to be a problem. 
So looking for uh, the ratio in the, from the backswing to imp- uh, squaring the club at impact and having a nice full, um, you know, um, energetic accelerating release of the club through the ball. That's what you're really looking for. Um, and my experience, again, and with students as well, is that somewhere maybe just even a little sh- uh, shy of parallel uh, to parallel, sometimes a little past parallel, that's probably the, the workable range um, of swings that are going to be able to um, become consistent. And the consistency is just so, so important and accurate, getting the club back into position so that you can square the club face at impact. Um, so, you know, um, I, I, again, it's kind of like a diet, you know. Does everybody need to be a vegetarian? Should everybody eat meat? Well, <laughs> there's blood types. There's so many things to consider. And I've kind of come to the place now where there isn't only one diet that everybody should be eating. It really is dependent on the person. Um, that being said, there are some parameters that you know turn out to, to be healthy eating, and there are some parameters that turn out to be um, effective, repeatable golf swings. Yeah, uh- Great way to, to sort of cap that off. Um, no, you're exactly right, uh, Jamie. You know, I think it, it really goes up to the individual, and I think you have to find what works for you, and everybody's going to be different. You know, a lot of people try to copy John Daly, for instance. I know we keep bringing his name up, but he was probably one of the most obscure examples you could use, um, you know, uh, during that time. And I think, again, it, if, if you're not being knocked off balance, and you're able to repeat that swing each and every time, then that might be right for you. If you're inconsistent and you're not able to, to maintain a balance throughout the swing because you're trying to overdo it, um, you're going to find that it's going to create a myriad of problems. And also it's not going to be the greatest thing maybe for your back. So you need to really focus on that, and that's something that you can do with your, your uh, golf professional is get together with them and find out what's the best swing for you. So um, great answers, guys. Well, I know that the uh, back- they backswing is the backswing's got that lateral weight transfer which we talk about um you know getting your your right side loaded up with your weight and your energy so then you can really push off it you know so you're coiled into that back leg and you can push off and uh and generate power with um with that kind of uncoiling um as you come into the downswing and, and follow through so you know you need to accomplish those couple things i think the biggest thing um and in relation to that last question about um, you know, how hard should I swing? Um, I think what we're looking at is that overswing John Daly or how hard should I hit it. We're uh, generally speaking golfers, just like most people are contending with our ideas about what's, what's, what, what are the sources of power that we have. And most of us actually are laboring under harder, faster, you know, all this stuff is, uh, is what creates power. And, you know, it comes from the whole body, actually. It comes from timing. It comes from a weight transfer. It comes from being in balance. It comes from use of the lower body and, you know, kind of a dynamic um, tension you develop uh, through the coiling of your body, pushing off from the ground. These are the factors. So I think if we can really um, educate people about what their true sources of power are and help them to tap into those as opposed to the sort of uh, crude but very common notion that power equals force, brute force, and, you know, upper body and force and kill it, then we can, um, you know, we start to put the length of the backswing into a context. Right. It, I, I couldn't agree more. 
Um, well said. Uh, John, here's another one. Uh, it's really sort of, uh, I guess, really two answers to this one here. And, um, and, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, should I hit up on the ball at impact? And I know there's two components to this, uh, but people are confused. The uh, difference between um, maybe hitting their irons and hitting uh, their, uh, their driver as an example. Uh, talk about that. How should we be approaching the ball at impact? Well, Ted, uh, the answer is that you're exactly right. There are two answers to this. Um, with your irons, you're going to be hitting more on a descending blow. Uh, your angle of approach or the angle of attack, uh, there's different terminologies that you'll hear out there, but I call it um, angle of approach usually. Um, the angle of approach is more descending, so you're hitting on a downward angle of approach with your irons. This is going to produce, um, and it should produce, uh, a, a slight divot, uh, and the divot should be um, depending on the clubs that you use, depending on the type of, of uh, you know, how steep your swing is or how shallow your, your swing is, you should bottom out so that you're hitting the ball first and then the ground second. So that's what we try to do whenever I look at uh, someone's clubs. I always show them, you know, I, I always like to have the ball mark be about five, uh, be five groo grooves high. So if you count the grooves, on your club face uh, with an iron, you want it to be on that fifth groove. That's where you want the, the, the contact. If you're doing that, you're going to get solid contact. Uh, even if you miss it a little bit on the, on the heel or a little bit on the toe, you're going to get solid contact. If your divots, or excuse me, if your ball mark is way up on the club face, uh, then you're coming in too steep. You're catching it where there's not enough meat uh, behind the, the, or on the club because uh, the, the higher you go up on the club face, Whenever you hear announcers say that, you know, he, he caught it high on the club face, you're going to lose power. Or if you hit it really low on the club face, say one or two grooves high, then your ball doesn't get in the air. So, you know, that's something that you can look at. I look at every time. In fact, when I'm playing in a tournament um, and, or just playing golf, uh, I'll draw – I have the line that I draw on my ball, uh, the black line that I use to, uh, uh, to line up when I putt. I always put that so that the black line uh, is uh, pointing straight up and down right behind, you know, uh, right in front of the uh, club face. And so when I hit my shot, it'll leave a little mark on there and it shows me where I'm hitting it. And so it gives me an idea of what my swing's doing. And, and I think it's a great way to, to uh, when you're practicing, a lot of times I'll draw with some of my students, I'll take a Sharpie out and I'll draw a black dot on the ball and, and have them hit and you can see right where they're hitting on the club face. Now, as far as the um, driver goes, you, you want to hit on an um, uh, ascending blow, so you're hitting up on the ball. So that's one of the reasons why you want to tee it up. You're not, you're not trying to hit the tee. In fact, when I hit my best drive, the tee is usually sitting right there in the ground, or if it comes out of the ground, it's within a couple of inches of where I teed it up. If I'm hitting and my tee goes flying 40 feet, then I'm not swinging very well. That means I'm hitting down on the tee. And anytime you hit down on the tee, uh, you're going to catch the ball way up on the, or you're going to catch the, the, the ball way up on top of the club face. You're not going to get a lot of power behind it. You're going to put a tremendous amount of spin on the ball. And spin will kill you. It's a distance killer. Spin will kill your distance. You need some spin to get the ball in the air. But a lot of times you'll see students with 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 RPMs, that's rotations per minute, uh, when you put them on a launch monitor. And those balls aren't going anywhere. They're curving and they're going uh, 
um, they're not going any very far. So uh, to be able to hit up on the ball, uh, a lot of times with the driver, you need to widen your stance, you need to tilt your shoulders so that you're swinging, uh, so your swing path is coming more up on the ball, and, and that'll get you to launching the ball as high as possible with as low a spin rate as possible. That's the ideal. That's what all the long drive uh, champions are after. They tee the ball high, they hit up on the ball, and that's what that's where they that's one of the reasons why they create a lot of distance. There's a lot of reasons, but that's what they all do. So the average golfer, anyone out there who's listening tonight, can tee the ball higher. They can widen their stance and they can tilt their shoulder so that their their trail shoulder, or for a right-handed golfer, their right shoulder is lower than their than their left. You don't want your shoulders level when you're setting up with the driver. That's going to create a descending blow. That's going to create a lot of spin. So um, there's there's two answers, and there's actually three answers to that if you talk about putting, because with putting you're creating a neutral launch. You want to you you basically you're not hitting down on it, you're not hitting up on it. You have a, a launch angle where the, the the ball just kind of floats along the grass, hits the ground, and starts rolling. So um, those are uh, it's a great question, and it's something that if you understand the science behind it, can help you. Uh, when you're on the golf course, uh, you know, uh, to understand, you know, that, hey, I need to create uh, a steeper angle of approach or I need to create a more ascending angle of approach depending on what you're doing in your swing. And the best way to do this on the golf course is by making practice swings because you're out there on the course, you're not going to have level lies like you get on the driving range. You're going to have all kinds of different lies. By making a few extra practice swings, you can determine what the lie is. You can tilt your shoulders appropriately depending on the situation and learn to make that club bottom out, you know, where you want it to bottom out. That's a great way to, to, um, to really get an idea of how to create that descending blow with your iron. So uh, hopefully those tips will help the listeners out there when next time they play golf. Yeah, it's a common, uh, you know, problem that a lot of, especially amateurs, especially newer players, they're not sure they're trying to clip the ball off the tee, uh, you know, even if it's teed up with, uh, for an iron on a par three, or they think that they have to hit up all the time in order to get the ball airborne instead of letting the club do the, do the job itself. So um, some great, uh, great points, great tips uh, for the listeners out there. Uh, Jamie, this is one that stymies a lot of people as well, and that is um, how tightly should I hold on to the grip? This is an area... It's hard enough figuring out the right grip for you, uh, but how tightly do I hold on to that club? Well, um, I think it's important to understand that tightness in general, um, I mean, if people want to just tighten their muscles or uh, really make a fist and tighten it, that tension in general stops energy flow, right? Um, So when uh, holding the club... Obviously, we have to hold it enough that we have control of the club, and, you know, our hands are the things that really directly control the club, right? Um, <clears throat> when, they, when the wrist bends or uh, just simply holding the club, you can't drop it, right? You can't lose it. On the other hand, holding it too tight uh, will tends to um, tighten up the whole body, and so it can limit rotation. It can... Uh, um, basically stop the flow of energy from your body into the club. I like to have the feeling um, in gripping the club that um, I'm almost, um, you know, yeah, I'm holding it, but I'm holding it in such a way that 
uh, in my kind of terminology, right, and coming from martial arts or bringing in a bit of an Eastern uh, aspect to it, I'm holding it in such a way that I become one with the golf club. It's not me holding this thing that I'm trying to then hit this other thing, the golf ball, right? So we want to have connection. And the hands are the connection to the golf club. So um, the shape of, you know, the way that you actually put your, uh, your, your two hands and connect your two hands together and then connect them to the club so that I have a feeling of, um, I don't quite know how to say this, but it's like my club and me become one. I'm not swinging a foreign object as I turn my body and with the hold that I have on the club or the grip, um, that, you know, I really have this feeling that it's almost like a, a long extension of my arm. And I even feel that the club face, and we call it a face, but for me it's um, more like the hand, like my hand. You can really see it with an iron even better than a wood where the, um, you know, the front of the club face is like the palm of my hand and the back of the club uh, feels like the kind of knuckly part of my, you know, back side of my hand. The score lines on the, on the face of the club feel like my fingers. And so it's like, wow, if I was really going to place my hand on the golf ball um, through the club. So my grip, I want to have a kind of pressure where I can control the club but not choke it and kill it and stop the connection and the flow of, the energy, of energy from my body through my hands down through the shaft to the face or the sort of hand of the, the club on the golf ball. So I don't know if that, I hope that makes some sense, um, just hearing the words. It can sound a little funny, but um, it's really the feeling that I think so important is that we feel very connected and very in con- connected with and in control of the golf club. And too much tightness just chokes it off. Um, and I think it's usually also a um, kind of a reflection or a sign of that idea that I mentioned before that if I grip it tight, if I've got force, physical force, that then I'm going to somehow manage to hit it harder or better or longer. And that really is not the truth. Um, we just need, uh, what's the, I think the image has, has always been of just um, enough, like if you were holding a bird in your hand, right? You don't want to drop it, mm-hmm. but you also don't want to um, squeeze it to death. <laughs> and I think some people right. do tend to hold too tight. Um, in fact, I remember, God, 20 years ago, I found an article there in sort of height of tiger mania, and it was about putting and the uh, sort of light grip that Tiger had on his putter. And most good putters will tell you that um, the tension that we have is tends to be insecurity, and so we hold it tight, yeah, um, or we just tighten our muscles out of, in a really unconscious way uh, from our fear or our anxiety about how well we're going to hit it or if we're going to hit it at all. Um, And again, that sense of force, if I just hold it tighter and swing it harder, I'm going to hit it farther or better. And those things just aren't true. So I think, um, you know, as we modulate the um, and are aware of our grip pressure and get that kind of just right zone and where we're connected with the club and have a sense of flow, that's really, really where we want to be. And then we keep a sense of, of flexibility, fluidity in our body as we're making a swing or, or making a putting stroke. Well said. And and you're exactly right, Jamie. I think for the most part, I think a lot of our uh, high handicap or amateur golfers tend to grip the club way too tight. Um, in fact, putting almost a death grip on that uh, uh, golf club and 
ultimately tension just hits all of their body. And a lot of the best, not just putters, but golfers out there will tell you that you need a much more uh, loose or light uh, approach to your grip. And I think that uh, um, to your uh, analogy of the, the sort of holding the bird in the hand, I think Ben Hogan famously said that in a, in a quote one time, that he always wanted to feel like he was holding on to a bird um, and he didn't want to squeeze it too tight, as you pointed out. Otherwise, it would hurt it. So um, great point. Um, so, something interesting John, t- about that, Ted, is that um, I look at, like, these um, big basketball players, right? I mean, they're tall and their muscles and they're just amazing. But if you watch them, especially, you know, at a free, free throw line or a layup, the hands are really soft. It's kind of like, you know, boom, 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 boom. <gasps> a little breath and whew, light hands uh, to actually make the toss. And I teach about this a lot, that when we're really present in our lower body and we have stability in our legs, our feet, legs, um, the lower body, that then our upper body can be more flexible and have more uh, fluidity and lightness in it. And it tends to be that the people who in golf have a really tight grip are not using their body enough, and they're certainly not using their legs and what I call their base, their foundation enough. So the more that we get really uh, learn about uh, our footwork and get uh, a strong, balanced stance, um, and then we can um, sort of have more more lightness in our grip. Just And again, for me, basketball players are a great example where you can see those really strong bodies, but they're so using their legs. They kind of go down and then push up from the floor up through their legs. Energy comes up through the body, and the hands are just almost light as a feather. Yeah, uh, again, well said. Yeah, there is definitely a lot of subtleness, uh, a suppleness, rather, in in how they approach it, uh, even in the game of basketball. Um, and exactly a great point uh, to, to uh, give people as a visualization of, of what they need to do. Um, John, this is one here that, again, um, a lot of, uh, especially your high handicap golfers, but our amateur golfers as a whole, really struggle with, and that is what they need to adjust, if anything, what adjustments they need to make if they're playing golf in the wind. Well, I think, Ted, uh, in my opinion, the most difficult element uh, to play in is the wind. Um, you know, some people might say cold. Uh, you know, it's cold and windy and rainy is obviously a, a, a really difficult. But um, if, I, I think the wind is the most difficult because you have got to factor in so many things because you can make a perfect golf swing and you can end up going out of bounds uh, or, you know, going in the water because – um, the wind has such an effect on the ball. The first thing I tell my students is the wind you feel on the ground is going to be multiplied in the air because the higher you get up in the air, the more the wind's going to affect it. So obviously good players are always looking up at the top of trees. The first thing that a tour player is going to try to do when they're playing in the wind is they're going to try to lower their ball flight. Um, and there's different ways that you can lower the ball flight. This goes back to taking more club. The simplest way to lower your ball flight, in my opinion, is instead of hitting the 8-iron, you go to the 7-iron or even a 6-iron, and um, you can move the ball a little bit back in your stance if you want. Maybe When I say a little bit, I'm talking about one ball, not five or six inches, but maybe one ball back. Uh, you can open up your feet, your stance a little bit, and make less swing. That's a simple way to lower your ball flight. 
So that's one of the things that, that you want to do. Uh, the second thing is, is when you're playing in high winds, you want to narrow your stance. By narrowing your stance, you're going to hit a lower ball flight, and by choking down on the club, you'll hit a lower ball flight. So typically what I'll do is playing in higher winds. Let's say that I normally hit my 8-iron 150 yards, and let's say I'm hitting into the wind, um, and I want to – and I might go to my 7-iron. Let's say it's a, not a real high wind. I'll go to my 7-iron. I'll choke down on my 7-iron, maybe a half inch, narrow my stance, move the ball back, one ball back, open up my stance just a little bit, and then hit, hit a, an abbreviated follow-through. I don't go to make a full follow-through. This, the idea is to make my ball go 150 yards but make it go at a lower trajectory. Now, on the flip side of that, when you're playing downwind, a lot of people think that when you play downwind, golf is easy. Well, it is when you're hitting a driver, but it's not easy when you're hitting, uh, say, a 50 or 60 or 70-yard shot. So it's important to understand that when you're downwind, your ball is not going to stop. It's going to release when it hits the green. And so if I'm, you know, um, if I've got a, a, a on a par five, for example, and it's downwind, and let's say it's a three-shot hole, you can't get there in two, I'm not going to lay – I'm going to make sure when I lay it up, I'm going to lay it back more. I'm going to give myself a fuller shot because 100 yards might be really, in essence, 80 yards because uh, you could have a really strong wind behind you uh, in that situation, you're better off to be back at the 100-yard marker than you are to be at the 60- or 50-yard marker because then now you're, you're in a real awkward yardage. You know, you're trying to hit a 50- or 60-yard shot with a lot of wind behind you. That's uh, almost impossible to stop the ball when you get in those situations. And then you have to deal with crosswinds, you know, winds that blow from left to right and right to left. I heard Nick Faldo once said, he said, There's, when I look at a crosswind, I always ask myself, Am I going to hold the wind, meaning if I have a left to right wind, am I going to try to hit a draw and hold the wind and try to hit a straight shot, let, let the, the hook get negated with the wind, or am I going to ride the wind? Uh, because sometimes the wind is too strong, and, and there's nothing you can – I mean, if the wind is blowing hard and it's blowing left to right or right to left, you need to know your ball flight. So, for example, if I have a left to right wind breeze and my ball – fades typically let's say that you're a fader then that fade is going to turn into a slice on the other hand if you have a right to left wind that fade is going to turn into a straighter shot so if you have a right to left wind and your ball flight always fades you can now aim more at your target you don't have to aim it to the left of the target and play that fade because the the wind will negate it so understanding your ball flight understanding whether you're going to try to go against the wind or try to ride the wind. This is where I think the average golfer would be would uh, enjoy the benefit of doing a playing lesson because these are the type of things that you talk about in playing lessons. Uh, and, and I think it's important when you play, typically wind is really the, the prevalent time to deal with wind is in the spring. And so when you're dealing with the spring, you know, winds and you, and you get all these, um, circle, you know, where the wind's just blowing, one, one hole is blowing behind you, in front of you, it's blowing all different directions, swirling. Um, in those situations, um, you know, you have to be able to take in this information and say, how is this going to affect my shot? And realize that your yardage that you're getting on your Bushnell or your rangefinder or your GPS, that yardage is, yes, it is a physical yardage, but it's not the effective distance that you have because the wind 
is going to affect your distance. Uh, it's either going to help you or hurt you. And so what I always try to do when I've got a situation, going back to the 150-yard marker, if the wind's behind me, I tell myself, this is, I'm 150 yards, but it's playing 140. Or I'm 150 yards, it's playing 160. And then I pick my club based on what I hit 140 or 160, not what I hit 150. I don't, 150 is, even though I'm standing on the 150-yard marker, that is not my effective distance. So these are, uh, the, the, it's, a, it's a great question that you asked, Ted, but there's really not one answer. There's a lot of answers to it. So uh, hopefully the listeners out there will gain something from, from my uh, answer for it. Definitely a lot of variables into uh, tonight's questions, and, and really that's the purpose of them is, is um, to, to look at it from different perspectives and to understand they're not necessarily one right answer. Um, certainly there are some things that you need to uh, adhere to, uh, but you're exactly right. You have to weigh out the situations. And the, the whole purpose of really tonight's discussion is to make people think uh, really before they, they act, and that is to really assess the situation. Uh, Jamie, I'm going to give the last question to you, and, and this is one you kind of touched on a little bit, but maybe you can uh, expand a little bit. But um, we're getting close to our time, so I'm just going to forewarn you. We're, we've only got a, a few minutes left. But um, this question came through a while back, and the individual asked, how can I stop an arms-only golf swing? So in other words, they're not putting their whole body into it. They're just sort of using their arms or, or maybe even just a little bit of their upper body. So how can we uh, help them understand that uh, it's not just an arms-only swing? Well, I, for me, that is um, part of the essence of um, really of, of, of my teaching and really good teaching is to um, help uh, people with this tendency to swing with their arms only, which, again, I think it comes from just this uh, illusion, right, that uh, – you know, for that that force is what power is, and it, it really isn't. It's about using your full body and understanding lower to lower body, upper body movement. In golf, I think we have an even harder time because we're stationary uh, instead of running around. Uh, we don't have a, a natural kind of uh, use of our lower body, and it seems like there isn't footwork in golf because we're just standing there. But Jack Nicholas himself said that golf is played not between in those you know inches between your ears, but actually between the arches of your feet, and um, so it's really important to understand what uh, you know what did he mean by that. Um, and he had some of the best statistics on accuracy and consistency, um, and at the time um, you know length in, in terms of his um, you know how far he hit the ball relative to, to the day and age, right? Um, so we. Golfers really, again, need some understanding of what their footwork is um, and how they use the insteps or the arches of their feet. Um, if you look at a quarterback launching a ball or a baseball player or a pitcher, there's a little roll of the back foot. Um, there's loading up your weight and your energy, your power on the back foot, and then a little roll of the ankle and the, um, the instep. We used to call it pronating in, in golf. Um, and that engages the back uh, or the trail foot um, and the knee, and then that gets the hips moving. A lot of people think that, oh, if I use my hips, but we have to go lower than the hips. Um, in my martial arts, all of my teachers have emphasized that the feet control the hips, and um, the feet are a connection to the ground. So using um, ground force and pushing off from the ground. 
Um, so anyways, for, you know, people who are wondering, what do I do about my arm swing? I think it's important to get away from this emphasis on um, a shoulder turn. Shoulder turn is important, but the shoulder turn actually starts at the arch of the, of the feet and then getting the hips moving, then the shoulders turn. I've had one of my students said, oh, my shoulders get a free ride <laughs> on top of the, that little roll of the foot and then the turn of the hips. Oh, then the, the shoulders are turning on their own properly. So. Uh, too many golfers focus on their uh, shoulder turn and keeping that left arm straight for righties or the right arm straight for uh, lefties. And that just brings us back up into our heads and into our upper body. Uh, so learning what what the proper footwork is in golf and, you know, using ground force, using the full body and the uh, torque and coil from the ground up uh, to the upper body. So lower upper body connection, order of movement, that also renders timing and tempo, which is important in uh, generating power in the golf swing. So um, I think it's uh, it's about education and um, proper body mechanics. And, and the, it, these things hold true throughout every sport. Golfers kind of try to um, supersede that and just use their upper body because, again, just standing still, we don't know how to engage the full body properly. Um, so it's about um, proper athletic motion uh, training in, in that, um, and that's where I would that's where I would direct people is uh, to get down into their feet, understand those relationships, and that uh, sort of that dynamic coil from the feet through the knees and hips, then the shoulder turn, then the hands. And, and it's again, it's learning. It, it, it's learning what our sources, our true sources of power are. Also, relaxation and breath. These are things that, that come into the picture, um, not just that arm swing. And really the vast majority of golfers, you can go to any driving range, any golf course, and you'll see people trying to uh, mostly just kind of reverting in a sense or the default to just upper body force. The whole reason why everything has to be put in a proper sequence, and that's why you watch the professionals on TV and then you watch the amateurs on the range and they look vastly different in their golf swing. Great discussion tonight. Um, a great, uh, lot, of, lot of meat, as they say, on the bone in tonight's discussion. And I strongly urge everybody after the program tonight to go back uh, when the recorded version is available and listen to this first hour. Uh, actually listen to all of it, but particularly this first hour uh, as well in learning how to uh, improve uh, your time out on the golf course. A lot of good stuff there. Um, as always, guys, thank you very much for joining me tonight on, on uh, Golf Talk Live's Coach's Corner segment. I'll give each of you, starting with uh, John. Um, actually, I'll start with you, Jamie. Uh, just let the folks know the best way to reach you and um, how they can go about doing that, and then, John, I'll let you go. They can just go to my website, which is the, T-H-E, thecenteredway.com, center, E-D, thecenteredway.com. Jamie at thecenteredway.com will uh, get you directly to me, an email. Uh, my phone number is 760-492-GOLF. Four six five three. Um, I always say that I like to talk to people. Um, currently, while I'm out of the country, that number isn't working. I sort of put my American number on hold. I'll be back um, at the end of August, so um, that's a good way. Uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, Jamie Leno, L-E-N-O, Zimron, Z-I-M-R-O-N. Um, so, yeah, just um, uh, drop a note, drop an email, um, uh, social media. Those are good ways to find me. Sounds good. Well, enjoy the rest of your 
time overseas in France, and uh, we look forward to you coming back to the U.S. and uh, and connecting with some of the great uh, uh, folks over here as well and, and helping them with their game. John, go ahead. Well, Ted, first of all, th- uh, thank you again for having us on the show. We appreciate the opportunity to be on the show and the platform that you give us. And, Jamie, I enjoy, as always, being on with you. Uh, for the listeners out there, uh, you can go to my website, deckergolf.com. Uh, real simple, DeckerGolf.com. Um, I'm also available on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Um, my book, Golf Is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, is sold at, uh, you can go on Barnes & Noble or Amazon uh, to, to get that. And, and it's also in the audio version, um, Amazon Audible. Uh, so if you, want, if you like to listen to your, to your books, uh, you can do it in that format as well. Um, and I encourage everyone out there to uh, subscribe to Golf Tips Magazine. I'm real excited for all the work that uh, Ted has done with the magazine since taking over, and um, I'm lucky to, and very fortunate to be a, a senior editor and have a feature called Fairways to Heaven, which is uh, in the, uh, each issue. And so I'm real thankful for, Fred, or for uh, Ted for allowing me to um, you know, have that feature in there. And if you're, if you're looking for speaking engagements or if you're looking for someone to come speak at your church or your golf outing, feel free to reach out as well on the website, and I'll be glad to get uh, set that up with you. But uh, thanks again, Ted and uh, Jamie, and I uh, hope you have uh, safe travels back, Jamie. Thank you very much. Uh, learned a lot. It was fun. All right, guys. Again, thank you very much for joining me tonight on the Coach's Corner panel, and I look forward to you guys uh, the next time when your schedules come back on. So thanks, everybody. Have a great evening. And when we come back, I'll be joined by my very special guests, uh, Peggy Rhodes-White and Tiffany White. We'll talk about the Ted Rhodes Foundation and more. Be right back. Thanks, guys. Thanks. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back. And just very quickly before I introduce uh, this evening's special guest, uh, a reminder, I mentioned this last week, uh, we have an upcoming uh, event in late October from the 27th to the 29th. It's uh, Golf Tips Golf School being held at Macklemore uh, Golf Resort up in the uh, foothills, if you will, atop uh, Lookout Mountain in Georgia. Uh, It's uh, still some opening spots if you want to register for that. You can email me at editor.golftipsmag at gmail.com. That's editor.golftipsmag at gmail.com. Definitely want you to enjoy uh, join us for some great uh, instruction. Uh, John, actually, who was on here uh, this evening, is one of the uh, featured instructors, as well as John Hughes and Jim Endicott, who were on last week, uh, are going to be. So the three guys, uh, plus me, are going to be uh, helping you improve your game at Macklemore in the fall. So you definitely want to reach out and uh, get in touch and sign up because uh, the spots are going to go quick. So, uh, again, you can email me at editor.golftipsmag at gmail.com for more information. 
All right, this evening, I'm very excited to welcome back. I didn't realize it as long as it's been that they've been on, and I'm going to talk about that when I bring them on. But let me just introduce uh, both of these uh, ladies. Uh, first up is uh, Peggy Rhodes-White. Uh, she is the daughter of golfing pioneer and legendary Ted Rhodes, uh, considered one of the greatest golfers of his era. Uh, she's a native of Nashville, Tennessee, where she attended Tennessee State University and later uh, became a golf, uh, sorry, a top-performing sales professional in the pharmaceutical and medical supply industry. Uh, working for several Fortune 500 companies, including Johnson & Johnson and Becton uh, Dixon. Uh, in 94, she founded the Ted Rhodes Foundation in honor, obviously, of her father, uh, which is a nonprofit 501c3 corporation uh, and is incorporated in Tennessee and Illinois. And also her daughter and the granddaughter of Ted Rhodes uh, is Tiffany White, and she's a native of Chicago, Illinois, and had received her Bachelor of Arts degree in Business Administration from Clark Atlanta University and a Master of Science degree in Education from Southern Illinois University. And she's also an entrepreneur in addition to running, uh, help running the uh, golf, uh, Ted Rhodes Golf Foundation. Uh, as its president, uh, she also uh, runs a real estate company, a uh, career coaching company, and promotional products company as well. So very busy ladies, and I'm excited to have both of them back on the show. So please welcome my very special guests this evening, Peggy Rose White and Tiffany White. Good evening, ladies, and welcome. Good evening. Good evening, Ted. Good evening, ladies. How are you both doing this evening? Well, great. I'm How doing you? great. Well, good. I'm excited to have you back. And I was I was going through some of the archives of some of my earlier shows, and it was interesting that on August 10th in 2017, which is just a week ago now, uh, in comparison was the last time that you were on the show. So almost a week uh, later, um, you're on the show, and it's, uh, meaning now in 2023. So it was August 10th of 2017 was the last time that uh, you both came on the program, and I was very excited to have you then, and I'm equally excited to have both of you now. Well, well thanks so much for having us back. Yes. Well, I appreciate you. it. So. Well, I'm glad to have both of you join me. So, Peggy, I'm going to start with you, if you don't mind. And for for those that maybe aren't familiar uh, with your with your father, um, talk a little bit, uh, maybe just sort of bring them up to speed as to who uh, your father was and and why he left such a lasting impression on so many people at that time uh, during his his golfing uh, career. Well, I, T- Tiffany also does that as well. She does it better than I, which is why she's now the president, and I'm just the <laughs> C- CEO. <laughs> Tiffany, Tiffany, if you'll start it out, I'll, I'll jump in. Yes, I'd be happy to do so, Mom. Ted Rhodes was truly a pioneer. I'm, I'm very honored to be his granddaughter. And I would say, Ted, that his impact was, to make the game of golf available to people of African-American descent. And it's something that he spent the vast majority of his career focused on. One thing that we're really excited about is my grandfather was the first African-American professional golfer in the modern era to play in the U.S. Open. He played in the U.S. Open in 1948 
And I was really excited. I actually had an opportunity to go to the U.S. Open last year, and they featured him in the USGA Museum along with other golf greats that had played in the U.S. Open. So that's something that we're really excited about. Over the course of his career, he won over 150 golf tournaments. He also believed in teaching others and mentoring others. So he was the golf instructor for professional boxer Joe Lewis, professional tennis player Althea Gibson. And he also mentored Lee Elder, who was the first African-American professional golfer to play in the Masters. And so he thought it was, you know, very important that he help others with their game. And so, you know, they really pride him on helping them to be the best. And that was something that he prided himself on, was being the best at the game of golf. Although it was very challenging during the time that he was playing, he was very passionate about looking good as well as playing at maximum capacity. So that's something that I'm really proud about. Also, Ted, I want to mention that my grandfather was ranked in the top 10 best dress golfers. He was ranked number three, and this is by GQ, which is, you know, GQ has always been known to be at the forefront of fashion. <laughs> and so my grandfather mm-hmm, yep. was named at the top three. So, we, you know, that's something that we're really excited about because although he had limited funds, he always believed in looking good anytime he was on the golf course. He could play in an all-white outfit and, and not have a speck of dirt on him after he finished playing. So that was something else that, you know, we're really excited about. The other thing, too, that I would mention is he was granted posthumous membership into the PGA in 2009. So we were really excited that he was, you know, granted PGA membership because of all of his accomplishments and all of his hard work and, you know, helping to move the game of golf forward. One unique thing for those folks that travel or perhaps maybe in Tennessee, there is a golf course named after my grandfather in Nashville, Tennessee, in the heart of the city, and it's an excellent course. People come from all over the city and suburbs to play in that golf course. So that's something that we're excited about as well because Nashville was his hometown, and so having that golf course there also helps, you know, keep the legacy alive. I just just want to add to uh, Go ahead, Peggy. Okay, thank you, Tiffany. You did a great job. But I just wanted to just to add to that. I guess people wonder why in the world would someone, an African-American, want to play golf? Well, he developed his interest in golf by uh, working as a caddy in one of the prestigious golf country clubs in Nashville, Bellmead. So that's how he really developed an interest. And his first set of golf clubs, I was told, was made from a clothes hanger. He was so determined that he wanted to play that game. He was a very great dancer, so he was very rhythmic. So I, it worked out very well. So I just wanted to add that to why would he want to play golf? But once he started, once he became a caddy, and once he started playing, he thought, oh, wow, I can do this. And, and of course, he did it. He had a lot of obstacles along the way, but he just persisted. And as Tiffany was saying, all the things that she had mentioned, he was able to accomplish. So we're really very proud of that as well. And that's a great point. You actually you stole my uh, my question, Peggy. I was that was my question. I was going to ask for you was to talk about why he, uh, um, you know, why he sort of gravitated to the game of golf, and uh, you answered it very eloquently. And, and I just want to point out something that Tiffany said. Um, obviously, I never had the pleasure of, of meeting him, but I've seen a lot of photos and that over the years, both you know that you've had um, on your website and different social media. And I concur, Tiffany, that he was a very stylish dresser. 
and even by today's standards. So I can understand why GQ would have him uh, in the top ten at number certainly number three. I would probably would boost him up a little bit more, maybe even to two or, or who knows, even one. But he definitely was a very stylish dresser, and uh, and certainly um, if he can keep those uh, that white outfit clean after a round of golf, <laughs> he deserves yeah. he deserves a, a, a round of applause. Let me tell you, because even dark clothes that I've worn over the years. There's always a little stain here and there. So I don't know what he did, but I, I hope he can. Uh, I'll have to channel some of that uh, that energy uh, one of these days and figure it out. But um, yeah, Tiffany and, and and I think what I'm going to do, um, if we don't, if you don't mind, is Tiffany. I'm going to mm-hmm. sort of lead in with you, and then Peggy, you can sort of, uh, I guess, piggyback if you will onto uh, and add any other points because um, I know that uh, you know Tiffany obviously is very familiar with everything and as I know you are but uh, um, Tiffany talk about at some point your mother started uh, back in 94 the foundation the Ted Rhodes Foundation uh, which is obviously a nonprofit Um, talk about for people that don't understand uh, why that was done and really what the purpose of the foundation is give us sort of an overview if you wouldn't mind and then Peggy um, you know if you want to jump in there as well and add some points on uh, afterwards. Sure. Yeah, the foundation, Ted, was started essentially to keep my grandfather's legacy alive. You know, as as we thought about all of the accomplishments that he had over the course of his career, there's so many people that were unfamiliar with Ted Rhodes. And so we thought it would be, you know, a great idea to start the foundation and keep his legacy alive. But also we want to help move the game of golf forward by diversifying the game creating pipelines of diverse individuals to either, you know, be professional golfers or work in the golf industry. And so we really looked at, you know, how can we make a great impact within the golf industry? And that is to focus on our young people. And so one of our areas of focus, Ted, is to support the historically black colleges and university golf teams, what's often referred to as the HBCU mm-hmm golf teams because those teams are very important because they're at the, you know, the historically black colleges. And so those teams help create a pipeline of African-American professional golfers who, like I said, may want to, you know, go on the tour, may want to work in the golf industry in some form or fashion. And so our foundation financially supports HBCU golf teams. We have an excellent relationship with Fisk University, which is based in Nashville, Tennessee, and we're looking to branch out to some other HBCU schools. So we've given Fisk about $17,000 in donations over the years to help sustain and keep that golf program alive. And so we're looking to build out. We've also given some scholarships to students that are on the golf team at HBCU schools. So we're looking to do more of that. We also have an initiative to work with and partner with junior golf programs such as First Tee. Ted, we have Mm -hmm. great relationships with the First Tee of Greater Chicago, the First Tee of Lake County, the First Tee of Tennessee, and we're actually branching out to the First Tee of Atlanta and the First Tee of Jacksonville. Because as we thought about that age group, that between, let's say, 5 to 18 years of age, that's really prime age to be able to start playing golf and they haven't made the decision about what they want to do and what they don't want to do. And so what we decided to do is offer golf clinics and host junior golf tournaments 
for students that are within that 5 to 18 age bracket. We wanted to, A, give them an opportunity to compete because it's one thing to learn how to play golf, but if you don't have an opportunity to apply those skills and compete, then it's, you know, you don't get the full breath of having the experience. And so over the past few years, we've been doing these junior golf tournaments in the Chicagoland area. Actually, we just had our tournament last weekend and then also in Tennessee. And so what we're looking to do is really make it more of a tour. And so that's why we, you know, now we're going to be partnering with the Atlanta chapter of First Tee in Jacksonville next year. We're excited about that and looking to add more cities because, A, we want to obviously give our students the opportunity to compete, but also we want to educate them about Ted Rose. You know, a lot of adults as well as uh, you know, youth don't know about Ted Rose or his accomplishments or impact in the game of golf. And so through these junior golf tournaments, that gives us the ability to do so. And it's really cute, Ted, because a lot of the youth that play have never competed. So it's like their first time. And they're like, wait a minute, where do I hit the ball? You know? <laughs> and so right. they actually really enjoy it because then they meet other people that have the same interest. And then that gets them to want to do it more often. So we have our youth initiatives, which are focused on, you know, that 5 to 18, and then that HBCU population. So that is what we've really been focused on over the years and really see those initiatives growing and make a greater impact. The other thing, too, I want to mention, Ted, is we have also added a communication and leadership piece to the junior golf initiatives because we think it's important that the students, when they're on the golf course, that they understand how to talk to people. You know, there may be people there that mm-hmm. they're networking with that may be able to give them a college scholarship or maybe help them get into the college of their choice, but they have to be able to communicate. Mm-hmm. They have to be able to interview for scholarships, things of that nature. So we've added a Toastmasters Youth Leadership Program. And for those that may not be familiar with Toastmasters, it's an international organization that helps you enhance your leadership and communication skills. And so we've added that component. So the students create speeches, they lead the meetings to give them the ability to learn how to be leaders and effective communicators. So we're really excited that we have the Toastmasters component as part of our junior golf initiative. I think that's a great uh, a great addition to what you're you're doing, and you're so exactly right. You know what people don't understand about golf that has never played before is it's not just a game; it's really an opportunity. It opens so many doors. I've had numerous numerous guests over the years, um, both like yourselves and 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 others that have come on and talk about really the doors that the game has opened for them. Um, at, at a variety of different levels. And it's not just about, you know, it, it would be great if we could all play on the PGA or the LPGA Tour, um, but we're just not all uh, quite up to snuff when it comes to, to that level of play. But there are so many other opportunities within the golf industry that a lot of these youngsters could participate in. But you're right, they have to be able to get those doors open. And a great way to do that is through the scholarship programs that you're offering and obviously with Toastmaster, learning to communicate those yeah. skills. Uh, to the right and network with the right people. Uh, Peggy, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to jump in there, but uh, do you want to add to to what Tiffany said? Well, the only, pardon me, the only thing that I have to add is that when I first started out running the foundation, my vision was to have professionals and amateurs, which I did for over 15 years. But what happened is there was more money going out than money coming in. And so we gave the professionals an opportunity to play because they were playing for a pro purse 
But thinking about it, adding the juniors made a lot more sense because my father was always helping others grow and develop. And I think that as I think about it, he would much prefer the direction in which we're moving now. So I'm really excited about it. And Tiffany, having been a career coach and and, and mentoring and uh, resume writing and all the things that she did in her profession uh, before she became an entrepreneur, I thought that she would be the most appropriate person to take this to the next level. I couldn't agree more. And and you know, you're you're both very very and have been very active over the years. I mean, I see you both um, on social media talking not just about the tournaments and and just the foundation, but just the impact that um, you know Peggy, that your father and, and Tiffany, your grandfather, really had on the game, and how many people. And you've mentioned uh, a numbers, but actually, even uh, even as as more recent as Tiger Woods was also impacted um, because of. The, the legacy that your father had, had sort of initiated. So it, it's, it's spanned many generations and will continue to expand with, with not just what he's done, but what you both are, are doing uh, moving forward. And I think it's very smart um, business sense to really go after, you know, Tiffany, as you talked about the younger market, because mm-hmm. really the earlier you can get them, and this has been sort of a, a, a tightly held secret, if you will, uh, in golf, and it's become more and more prevalent if you don't get them at an early enough age they move on to other things in life so if you don't right. expose them to golf at, at that young age and that doesn't mean that they're going to be playing in tournaments right away necessarily but just exposing them to the game much like many other sports uh they do right. at the school level and and that sort of thing then by the time you do get you know out there and talking to them they're already well entrenched mm-hmm. in, in other activities, and it's it's a much harder uphill climb. So I think it's very very smart that you guys have pivoted, if you will, uh, Tiffany, to uh, to do that. And let me ask you, uh, and again, Peggy, uh, I'll get you to also jump in as well. But Tiffany, I want to go back to you. Um, you, you know, mm-hmm. you talked about the, obviously the scholarships and and other things, junior programs. Mm-hmm. What has been some of the feedback from some of the participants? Not so much that participate in the tournaments, but the, the, I guess the beneficiaries of some of the scholarships and some of the benefits uh, being connected with the Ted Rhodes Foundation. What has been some of the feedback from some of these youngsters uh, that you've helped along the way? You know, we've gotten great feedback over the years, Ted, and they, and they really appreciated us being able to provide financial resources for them to continue, you know, to play this great game of golf. Because that's one thing, golf is something where you have to have the resources or the connections to be able to continue to do it and do it successfully. And also I want to mention, because we've given, you know, so much money to the Fisk University golf team, the golf coach has told us that the funds that we have donated to their program has given him the opportunity to buy them uniforms, to help them travel, to go to different events, and really help sustain their golf program. And that's really meant a lot to us, Ted. And, you know, as someone that attended an HBCU school, I know that the resources and the funds are always limited. And so being able to have external partnerships is very important to sustaining and, you know, keeping these programs alive. Because I know many people don't know this, but at many of the HBCU schools on the golf team, many of the students are international students that are part right. of the team. And that's because, you know, it's just not as many African-American students that are playing golf. So we want this to give them an opportunity to keep pushing forward versus being a barrier 
for them, Ted. And, you know, it's not always mm-hmm. easy to get them, how can I say it, engaged in the game. You know, I've had some students say, oh, right. well, golf is boring. And I say, well, well, first of all, you've never done it before, so you don't know if it's boring or not. But what's funny, Ted, is once they get on the golf course, they love it and they get hooked. It's just yeah. getting them there. And what we're trying to do is give them more people that they can see that they can identify with. Because right now, you know, they only see Tiger Woods. If you look at people of color, there's very few of them. And so we're saying, hey, you could be the next Tiger Woods. You could be the next Carol Varner, but you've got to stick with it. You've got to work hard. And we want to help you in your path to do so. The other thing, too, that you mentioned Tiger Woods earlier, we were really excited when he mentioned my grandfather during his 1997 Masters win. I mean, we were mm-hmm. elated that he thought enough, even though that was his first big win, but to think about mentioning all of the pioneers, such as, as my grandfather, that paved the way for him to play golf, it was very touching. And my mom, and she can obviously shed more light on this, but she had an opportunity to meet Tiger, and he talked about how he studied my grandfather's game and how my grandfather had made such a great impact. And what's really interesting, Ted, is that Tiger's father, Earl, is the one that you know, educated him about Ted Rose. And so mm-hmm. that helped us, you know, in terms of, hey, Tiger Woods knowing about who my grandfather is. So that's the other part that's really important for us with this foundation is educating and creating an awareness because people know about some of the folks that were with us a little bit longer. My grandfather passed away in the late 60s. And so, you know, people recently haven't seen him play in any tournaments. So it's our goal to really, as we do these events, to do an education component in addition to offering, you know, a junior golf tournament or junior golf clinic because we do think it's important that our youth know the pioneers that actually, you know, paved the way for, for them to play the great game of golf. Yeah, and and just to add on onto that real quick, uh, and then Peggy, I'll I'll let you um, uh, jump in as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important too that you know the the youth of today, as much as you know they may have aspirations of maybe one day playing out on on one of the professional tours. Um, it's not you know as we know the percentage of people that actually make it out there it doesn't matter what. Uh, uh, what background they come from is is very limiting. It, it's a tough game. It's very difficult. But there are so many other opportunities within the industry that they can participate. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't shoot for the stars, as it were. Um, but um, I think that they have to look at the whole the industry as a whole and realize it's not just about playing on the PGA or LPGA tour, as I mentioned earlier. It's also about being right. involved in the different other areas of of the growth of the game. So. Uh, I just wanted to point mm-hmm. that out there so, so people understand. Peggy, go ahead. I know you had, uh, no, had something I, I you wanted to add. No, I was going to that. One of the exciting things that, that we like to say that we have been responsible for and share is the giving, as Tiffany had mentioned, giving them an opportunity, African-Americans who may not even think about golf, not only do we give them an opportunity to play competitively, but we also give them the history. Tiffany does a great job of explaining the history and legacy, you know, Ted Rose. But also, I'm proud to say for the last two years, we've had two African-American PGA pros as our tournament director. And so they've done a great job. And, you know, we feel really proud about that because oftentimes they don't get those opportunities. And they've both done a great job. They were turning again this year. This year we have an intern from UMass, which is a, what would you call it, Tiffany? 
Yeah, it's an HBCU program. So University of Maryland Eastern Shores has a golf tournament management program, and it is considered an HBCU school in Maryland. And so we have a student, a young lady, Keziah, who is in that program that will be working with our tournament committee to get experience in actually running tournaments. And so that's the other part of it, too, Ted, is we're looking at how do we infuse some of these HBCU students into some of the activities that we're doing so that, again, they can learn more about the game of golf. Because to your earlier point, Ted, you know, you don't have to just consider the professional golf around. Hey, you could work in finance. You could work in tournament management. You know, you could manage a golf course. I mean, there's so many different opportunities. And the interesting thing about it, Ted, is I have so many people that reach out to us. They're looking for students to give these opportunities to, but there's so few of them. So we said it's our goal to help, you know, move the game of golf forward by creating, you know, these pipelines and, and really having more of a national footprint as we, you know, grow the foundation. Yeah, and I think the, the really the bottom line is, you, you know, you want to create the opportunities and you want to uh, allow and put them in a position where there's some open doors. And obviously it's up to the individual whether they choose to walk through it or not. And just to right. sort of piggyback, uh, Tiffany, on something that you said uh, a few moments ago about, you know, not really understanding or wanting to, to participate in the game, thinking it's boring and that, um, you know, just a very short story. My sister was very much like that growing up. And, uh, I'll, of course, I played from a very early age. And I finally pressured her and said, look, get out in the, the golf course, try it out. If you don't like it, then you can complain about it. But otherwise, keep it, you know, keep it under your hat, so to speak. And she went out until the day, unfortunately, she passed away a few years ago. Uh, she continued to play golf. So uh, you just have to open that door for them. You have to encourage them, and you have to create the opportunities for them to get out and enjoy it. Once they do, it's like you said, they'll get hooked to it, just like the rest of us have, and, uh, <laughs> and be able to enjoy it. Um, so I want to talk about, and, and I have to, in the same breath, I have to apologize. Um, I want to talk about, uh, this is your 54th annual Ted Rhodes uh, Charity Golf Classic, uh, which is taking place yes. in Nashville uh, in a few weeks. And I have to apologize. I had to cancel uh, my attendance and coming, unfortunately. I <laughs> know. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm, come heck or high water, I'm coming next year for sure, I promise. Um, unfortunately, something very personal came up during that week that I cannot, uh, and I'll, I'll explain it privately, but, um, but anyways, so I apologize first and foremost. But uh, Tiffany, you start us off, talk about, again, 54 years that, that mm-hmm. you guys have been doing this. It's an annual event. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about the event. Thanks. Well, first of all, we'll definitely miss you this year, Ted, and we'll send you the dates, and we look forward to having you join us next year in Nashville. But we are really excited about the legacy of this tournament. This tournament has been held the weekend after Labor Day for the past 54 years, and it is a charity amateur golf classic, and it's a two-day, 36-hole stroke play tournament, which celebrates and honors the legacy of my grandfather, Ted Rhodes, but it's also a fundraiser for our benefactors, which is the Fifth University Golf Team and the First Tee Program in Tennessee. So we use these golf tournaments as an opportunity to raise funds and actually help these programs as we've done over the years. So we have individuals that come from all over the country to participate in this tournament. And we have a good time. We say, Ted, we have great golf, great food, and great fun. The golf course is excellent. As I mentioned earlier, you know, people come from all over 
the city of Nashville and suburbs to play at this golf course. But to have it named after my grandfather, it plays in well to the work that we're doing. We're really excited this year, Ted. We have a title sponsor, and that title sponsor is based in Nashville, Tennessee, in a company that many people know, and that is Johnston & Murphy, the company that makes mm-hmm. excellent shoes, excellent <laughs> apparel. And so they're yep. actually our title sponsor. So we're calling this the Ted Rose Foundation, Johnston & Murphy Charity Golf Classic. So we're really excited and thankful that Johnston & Murphy reached out to us to be a part of the great work that we're doing, help support our efforts. And we're looking, you know, for more partnerships of this nature because to run, you know, this tournament, it obviously costs funds to do so. And we want to be able to give more funds to organizations to be able to donate to them. So these partners really help us in terms of making a great impact within our community. So we're really excited to have Johnson and Murphy on board. We also have Troon, who is one of our sponsors, and Troon actually, many know Troon because they manage golf courses all over the country, so we're really excited. Kendall Murphy, who's the head of diversity and inclusion, has, you know, been a very strong supporter of the work that we're doing, and so we're really excited just to be able to offer this tournament. It's funny, too, Tim, because we do have people that come and play because they just enjoy supporting us, but it's competitive too. (laughs) So, you know, individuals will come. (laughs) We have individuals of all ages are able to, we have a women's division and then we also have amateur, senior amateur. And for our seasoned golfers, we have a super senior category for the group that's 70 plus. So this event is something that people, you know, enjoy coming to. We'd love to have their listeners on the line that love to come and, be a part of this exciting event. We'd love to have you, but it's definitely an historical event that we've done over the years and, you know, gives us the opportunity to fundraise as well as celebrate my grandfather's legacy. And mom, is there anything that you want to add? Well, I just want to say, if there are any potential sponsors who just have a little extra money, they want to donate to our cause. We certainly are open to receiving it. And we're going to give the information at the end, how they can reach us. As you had mentioned, we, still could, you know, use and looking for players. And it's really competitive, as Tiffany had mentioned. We have people that really, Tiffany said, Nashville and suburbs, but we have people this year that are coming from Ohio, Texas, all over. So it's going to be a lot lot of fun, two days of fun. And then one thing, oh, yeah, one thing I just wanted to mention real quick is that we're really excited that Encore Golf, jumped on as one of our sponsors. And so they donated golf balls. So all the golfers that participate will get golf balls from Encore. So we're really excited that we can, you know, again, offer this tournament, but, you know, be able to have fun while we're raising funds for a very great cause. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah Ted Rhodes. Go ahead, Peggy. Balls. I just want to make that clear. They're, they're going to have Ted Rhodes' logo on the golf balls as well. So not just golf balls, but Yeah, make it extra special. Encore is a very great company. I'm very familiar with them. I've uh, used uh, their golf balls, and definitely uh, the the competitive juices are going to benefit from using them, I can guarantee you, from the participants in your (laughs) tournament. So uh, that's great that they've come on board, and it's even extra special that they're going to put the Ted Rhodes um, logo on the golf ball as well to make it extra special. So um, we want them to, to definitely enjoy that. So this is something that obviously you continue to grow each and every season 
and as mm-hmm. you mentioned, this is uh, see, this is the 54th annual, so it's been going on for for quite some time. And, and obviously, the yeah. foundation itself is continuing to grow and expand and 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 take mm-hmm. on new challenges, which is always good. And um, so, when you think about what you've done thus far, uh, and this is a question for both of you. I'm going to start with again with Tiffany and then and Peggy. Um, what do you think that if your grandfather was alive today and saw what you mm-hmm. were doing, what do you think he would say? I think he would say, job well done. The work that we're doing with our youth in terms of building these pipelines and preparing more individuals to, to they have a career in the golf industry, I think he would be elated. And I also think that he would say that we have been trailblazers on our own, Ted, because, you know, it's not been easy running the organization, no. but we haven't let that stop us. But, you know, being in a, a male-dominated industry is not always the easiest. And you right. know, there are people that have helped us, and there are some that, you know, say they're going to help, but they don't. And so right. he's not let that stop us. And, you know, I would say that's something that we have in common with my grandfather because although he had all of those pitfalls, Ted, in terms of, you know, not being able to play because he was African-American, or then putting horse manure on the course when he would play at these different tournaments, he still kept a great right. attitude, and he kept pushing forward. And so I think he would say that, ladies, you all have continued to fight the great fight, keeping my legacy alive, letting more people know about what I was doing. And, you know, he wasn't even doing it for glory. He was doing it because he actually enjoyed the game and, you know, was very passionate about it. But I think he would be very proud and say, job well done. Mom, what, what would you add? <laughs> Well, I was just going to say it teaches the young people a lesson. If you have a dream, if you're persistent about it, then you will not let anyone or anything come in between it. I think, as you would mentioned, uh, my father would say, job well done. These young ladies are continuing to carry on my legacy, and I'm just really appreciative. And our tagline is the legacy continues, and that's what we're doing. I think he would also add on there, if he was listening now, um, that the two of you are much tougher than he was. I think that you have um, uh, an attitude that's very positive, upbeat, and and I think that he would, uh, in addition to obviously being very proud of of both uh, his daughter and his granddaughter, um, would agree that the two of you uh, um, are, are even tougher than he was um, in, in moving forward and not allowing obstacles to get in your way. And I think he would be very proud of that and to know that you're willing to. And, and really, it, you, you are his legacy. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the golf is just one act. I, I look at it this way, uh, and I've said this many, many times in general, for, for myself included. Golf is merely a vessel that I use to deliver a message. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. It's a game, which I enjoy mm-hmm. playing, but it's a, it's a vessel. And mm-hmm. the legacy and, and all of that is really um, a family legacy, but also a legacy of personalities, a legacy of, um, you know, of, of so many other things that you're doing that he would obviously uh, support and want to help. And, and, you know, without even having the opportunity to really get to meet him or, or know him on a personal level, mm-hmm. obviously, because he, he had passed – uh, only a few short years after I was was born, so it would have, would not have been possible. Mm-hmm. But um, but <laughs> listening to the stories over the years and 
and knowing you two from, from being on the show in the past, is that he would want to share something that was very special and very intimate for him, and he was very proud of. He was proud of his accomplishments, and he was mm-hmm. very honored to be a part of a game that didn't always have open doors for him, but that didn't stop him. And he wanted you, I'm sure, um, without even probably having to say it, he would want you to continue that, to continue to open those doors for others. And golf is merely the vessel that he used and now you use to be able to accomplish that. And I agree. I think he would say, yeah. well done. And he, even though it's not yeah, finished yet, it's it's a journey right. that's still going, but a job well done. Yeah, one thing, too, I want to mention, Ted, I think what helps my mother and I is both of us have a corporate background. So, you know, obviously my yep. mother spent significant number of years in the pharmaceutical industry. I come from financial services. I worked at J.P. Morgan Chase Bank for almost 20 years. So I think that corporate training is something that we both have. So you pair both of us together. <laughs> and actually, I love working with my mom. I'm an only child. And you know what, Ted? I'm living this through her because, you know, I was born in 1972. My grandfather passed away in 1969. So I didn't have a chance to meet him either. And so, you know, I'm right. living this through my mother. And so hearing all of this information about my grandfather from her has been very telling about the type of man that he was and and I can see why she felt very passionate about creating this foundation because it just couldn't be left unsaid. And we've been thankful, Ted, that there have been a couple documentaries like the Uneven Fairways, if people haven't seen that yep. one. That was Uneven Fairways was the one that would be shown during Black History Month on ESPN and some of the other yep. networks. That one was a great one. They featured my grandfather. And they've had, you know, a few others. But we have, you know, felt that it is our responsibility as a family to really make sure that we're getting the word out there. One thing, too, that we've also done, because we think that my grandfather deserves deserves it greatly, is we've nominated him to be in the PGA Hall of Fame. So we've submitted mm-hmm. the nomination, and we're waiting to hear back eagerly <laughs> and prayerful about that. But, you know, we just feel like, mm-hmm. no, he's not here to tell his story. So, you know, it's our responsibility. And we enjoy doing it as well, Ted. Uh, don't don't forget uneven lives. Yeah, uneven. Yes, yes that's uneven, yes, lives. uneven lives. Yes, uneven lives. The great book by our dear friend Pete McDaniel's, who uh, was yep. with Golf Digest. That is an excellent book. If you want to learn more about the African American history in golf, that is a book that you should definitely get. Yeah, actually, uh, Pete was a guest on my show. I think actually. Uh, through Peggy, I think you uh, helped connect that, and uh, yeah. he actually was on the show to talk about that and actually sent me a copy, and uh, it was a, a very, very good read and a lot of very interesting stories uh, in there, and, and again, just further adds to the, the legacies. And I want to give you, Tiffany, if you don't mind, I'd like to give mm-hmm. you an opportunity before we give the information out where they can go and so forth. Um, I know you have mm-hmm. a number of, of other uh, friends in that that are, are part of the uh, board of uh, the Ted Rhodes Foundation, if you want to sort of give a shout-out to some of those that have helped, been there supporting along the way as well, please uh, take this opportunity. Okay, thank you so much. Yeah, we've had a great group that have been there with us and supporting us. Somebody most recently that's been helping us is Jim Beatty, the individual that runs the African-American Golf Expo. He's been, you know, very helpful in terms of our efforts and mom is there anybody else that you would mention well of course pete is on our advisory board so he's been very helpful to us always 
uh, Pete McDaniels, and then Craig Bowen mm-hmm. has been very helpful yeah, to us. So. Is, and, and we also have Mallory Crossland from the PGA that's also, you know, been very helpful. And, you know, that goes a long way because, you know, we can't do this work alone. So having strong board of advisors and board of directors is very important for us to help, you know, move the foundation forward. Couldn't agree more. And, yeah, it, it takes a, a lot of uh, uh, oars in the water to navigate down the stream and uh, along yeah. the river. And I think mm-hmm. it's it's great that these people have, have all uh, been pitching in over the years to help the two of you, uh, as I mm-hmm. said, not just to keep the legacy alive, but to really open doors for the next generations to come. And that would be something that uh, I believe uh, your father, Peggy, and your grandfather, uh, Tiffany, uh, Ted Rhodes would be very honored and proud to to know that that is uh, is being done on his uh, on his behalf. Um, so uh, again, kudos to to both of you. So um, Tiffany, let's give the information out and and uh, where they can go. Obviously, I know you have a website that they can go and visit and get a lot of information about yeah. what we're and even more than what we've been talking about tonight. And then also uh, where they can go if they want to get uh, not just for sponsors, but um, uh, anybody that wants to be involved with the tournament as well. Uh, coming up. Uh, Give us that information as well. Sure. Sure. Our website is www.tedrhodes.org. So tedrhodes.org is our website, and that is where you can find information about the 54th Annual Golf Classic. You can find out how to be a sponsor, how to make donations. That is our main website. So we'd love to have you take a look at that and learn more about the foundation as well as Ted Rhodes. Our telephone number is 877-913-9009. So we also love to hear from people. People just reach out and thank us or want to be a part of the efforts that we're doing. So please feel free to reach out, 877-913-9009. And then we're also on social media. We're on Instagram, and the Instagram name is Ted Rose Foundation, but it's also under golf legend Ted Rose. And then if you'd like to connect with me, my Instagram is golfer, G-O-L-F-E-R underscore G-I-R-L. So I'd love to connect with you. We're also on Facebook as the Ted Rose Foundation, and I am on Facebook with my name, Tiffany White. So we'd love to have you connect with us. And it's interesting to have people often have stories. We've met some people reached out to us and said that my grandfather, they've caddied for him or they their, their relatives played with him back in the day. So Please feel free to reach out. We'd love to, to talk with you. Also, don't Perfect. forget and, Blue and Golf. Pe- yes. Oh, yes. Thank you so much, Mom. And our all of our tournaments are also on Blue Golf. So I know golfers know about Blue Golf because they have a variety of different events there. So it's Blue, B-L-U-E, G-O-L-F dot com. All you have to do is type in Ted Rhodes Foundation, and we have all of our events. We also have a youth tournament that's coming up. It's actually the same weekend as our 54th Annual Golf Classic on September 9th, and this is in partnership with the First Tee of Tennessee. So this is for you between the ages of 5 to 18 years of age to play with us for our junior golf tournament, and we're also doing a junior golf clinic that same morning on September 9th. So we have all of the information on our website, www.tedroads.org. Well, thank you ladies for joining me this evening on golf talk live. It's been a pleasure. Um, we're going to have to make this an annual uh, event for you to come on the show. Yes. 
and uh, I yeah, promise next great. year I, I will attend uh, the, the tournament. I promise you. I'm making you that promise on air live now uh, that I will be there uh, <laughs> next year for sure. But I know, I know. That's what you're going to have uh, documented proof. So, but I want to just very quickly for the listeners again. If you want to get more information, it's the 54th, uh, the Ted Rhodes 54th Golf Classic. The legend continues. Uh, to get more information, you go to tedroads.org, that's T-E-D-R-H-O-D-E-S.org. Uh, all of the information's there. If you want to uh, help with the sponsorship or what have you, uh, or you want to come and see the event, you can get more information there. The dates and everything are all uh, there. Or if you want to reach out and contact either Peggy or Tiffany, you can do that through the website as well or any of their social media platforms that they uh, just mentioned. But good luck uh, with the tournament. Let me know how it goes. And uh, I look forward to having you guys join me again on Golf Talk Live. And I will promise I will be there next year at the event. Thank you, Ted. Well, we appreciate it. And thank you so much, Ted, too, for having us on the show again. And thank you for the work that you're doing to help move the game of golf forward with your podcast. You've been doing it for many years, and you do an excellent job. And you have great guests on your show. So it's very educational and informative. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing. We appreciate you, and we look forward to seeing you next year. I definitely will for sure, and thank you very much. I enjoy. Uh, I haven't been doing it for 54 years, only 11 years, but uh, I don't know if I'll be able to last 54 years. But uh, I've, I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed the years that I've done, and we'll have to set it up so I can do one from the tournament next year. So I think we'll do that yeah. and, and have some other uh, guests join us. But um, God bless to you both. Much continued success thank with the Ted you. Rhodes Foundation, and have a great uh, event this uh, uh, again September. And uh, let us know how it works out. But, again, go to tedroads.org is the website. All of the information is there. Again, God bless to you both. Thank you very much for joining me and being my special guest tonight here on Golf Talk Live. And you guys have a great evening and great weekend. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That was uh, Peggy Rhodes-White, the uh, daughter and CEO uh, of the Ted Rhodes Foundation. And Tiffany White, the president of the Ted Rhodes Foundation, uh, joining me tonight on uh, Golf Talk Live to talk about uh, their late father and grandfather, respectively, uh, his uh, foundation and the upcoming event coming in just a couple of weeks' time. So uh, definitely, again, go to tedroads.org is the website. All of the information is there. And if you're interested in helping uh, sponsor, they are a a nonprofit 501c3 corporation incorporated in both Tennessee and Illinois, uh, definitely helping. Uh, a lot of uh, the youth um, come to this game and, and give them some opportunities that they may otherwise not have. So uh, thanks to both the ladies and also thanks to John Decker and Jamie Leno-Zimron for joining me earlier on the Coach's Corner panel. Thanks, guys, for always bringing your best. And to you for tuning in each and every week here on the program. If you missed tonight's uh, broadcast and you're tuning in a little bit late, if you go to blogtalkradio.com slash live and scroll down to the on-demand section, all of the previously aired shows, including tonight's, will be there in its entirety and you can listen to it there, and I strongly urge you to do so. It was a great show tonight. So on that note, have a great weekend. God bless everybody, and I'll see you next time right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel, and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. 
This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.